This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I gotta let that baseline roll a little bit on Friday. Weekend is upon us. Happy Friday. Chandro Tar, Sandy Clough with you. We're happy to be joined by Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports, our lead reporter and the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, which, by the way, you can catch uh, after Nuggets. This man is not afraid of staying up late, which makes him kind of a man after our own heart, Sandy. Uh, Ryan, how are you today? I'm great, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I know you guys always always took the late shows after a lot of these games, so uh, I, I can relate for sure. We're happy to uh, hand off the baton to you, as it turns out. And uh, when you look at you have the story right now, lead story on MileHighSports.com, talking about these next couple of games with the MVP candidates Jokic and Giannis and Embiid going together. I'll tell you a little bit. We talked about it before we came on last hour. We're not sure Giannis is going to play in this game because it will be a back-to-back and Utah's so beaten up, they may decide to sew it up tonight with Giannis and rest him. But regardless of the way it works with Embiid, I think Embiid, given the fact that he wants this this MVP trophy badly, he knows the matchup is against Jokic. While he may personally respect Jokic, he wants that award. I think they're going to get Embiid. I'm not sure about Giannis. But the interesting part about this game is, yeah, are they statement games? Or given the fact for the Nuggets, especially that they're non-conference, how important are they really? Uh, it's a great question. For, for the narrative purposes, they are everything. Because I think what this Nuggets team needs right now more than anything going into these playoffs is, first and foremost, is health. But the second thing is confidence. It's, it's the belief and the ability that they can match up with these elite teams, whether they're in the Western Conference or Eastern Conference, doesn't really matter. If you play Giannis and the Bucks, you play Embiid and the Sixers, getting wins on your home floor, and especially emphatic wins, would be a really big deal for, for the organization and for the team as a whole, especially given the downtime that they, that they had over the course of these last couple weeks. Bouncing back from that would be a big deal. But I actually, I'm not sure who's going to play and whether it's going to be Giannis sitting out on the second night of a back-to-back because they've got a game on Friday tonight. Uh, or if it's Embiid who's sitting out, I think he's questionable against this up in this upcoming game against the right. Golden State Warriors. That's it wouldn't right. surprise me if, if either of those guys played. I'll give you another C word: challenge. I think they need a challenge, especially on their home floor. I don't think they felt Chicago uh, was a challenge, and uh, I don't know that they felt uh, a couple of nights earlier that Toronto was that much of a challenge. I think they've gone through, uh, apart from this last road trip, uh, a stretch in which uh, they were not facing the best of the best. And I also think there's the idea that while it's Eastern competition, you don't like to go over especially if you have designs on making it to the NBA Finals. They've already beaten Boston. They have not yet beaten Philadelphia and Milwaukee, with or without Giannis, with or without Embiid. These two games will represent more of a challenge than Denver has experienced lately, at least at home. There's no doubt about it, Sandy. I think that both of those teams represent obstacles that the Nuggets know that they're going to have to face on the way to a potential finals run. Uh, and, and there is a psychological element of it, given that 
Uh, they they haven't won each in each of those games. I know that Jokic and Murray did not play in that first matchup against the Bucks. Right, but it would be nice to see Denver show up in, in those games in a big way, where uh, Milwaukee is probably the best defense in the league. The Sixers right now are probably the best offense in the league, and and have proven unstoppable lately. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if if Denver uses those games as measuring stick performances and tries to work on some things. Uh, they, they know what the bigger goal is. They know that they're not going to sell out for each of those games, but it wouldn't surprise me if they really get up for them. That's the sense that I got to practice today. Well, the idea about that, the confidence is, is interesting because we know the Bucks have already gotten to the mountaintop. We, the Sixers have been trying to get there, but they have at least in the past. They have a rather storied history. The Denver Nuggets are trying to do something that no Nuggets team has ever done. And it, that, that, barrier for a franchise to break through no matter how talented they are is really difficult there's the weight of history behind you and then there's also in this case you don't know what you don't know and the nuggets don't know what it's like to make a legitimate championship run well there's some there's something to that with the core guys right i mean Jokic and murray and porter have always been in denver Aaron Gordon, before his time in Denver, was with the Orlando Magic, obviously didn't make any deep playoff runs there. Uh, but Contavious Caldwell-Pope is somebody that's been a part of a deep playoff run with the Los Angeles Lakers. He's seen that. Uh, Michael Malone has been a part of staffs that have made runs before as well. I, I do think that Denver, they, they are a more veteran team than they have been in the past, and it's one of the reasons why adding guys like Ish Smith and uh, DeAndre Jordan and Jeff Green and guys like that, uh, KCP especially, it's why it's been a big deal for, for them to change the overall mentality and the approach. You didn't see any panic from this team when they, when they kind of went through this March lull because they know exactly what it means to be in a March lull and not necessarily take that as seriously as, as they're going to take April, May, and June. Uh, but I do think that, of course, the, the overall message is correct, that this team, until they prove something, will have proven nothing. And it's one of the reasons why there's still so much national skepticism about them. We were talking earlier about some of the stars from opposing teams in the West perhaps coming back within the next week, 10 days or so, thinking of Durant and LeBron in particular, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, came back into the lineup last night, and uh, it certainly adds quality to those teams, but it also uh, gives them more options uh, when it comes to bench play uh, because uh, if James comes back, obviously he moves right into the lineup, as does Durant, as did Towns last night for the Timberwolves. How would you assess the condition of the Nugget bench now compared to uh, some questions that were quite considerable about that bench going into this last road trip? Oh, it's funny. I, I'm not sure if they've answered any of those questions, if I'm being honest. Really? I, I, yeah. I think that I, I think that if you are if you are looking at the overall bench and trying to figure out who the solution is, is, is there a magic formula that Denver can do uh, and, and actually win those minutes without Jokic on the floor? I think the answer is no. I think that they are going to continue to try 
Jamal Murray with that second unit. They need somebody who can lead that group as a playmaker. Murray has been, he's had a career high with assists per game this year. He's still their, their second leading scorer. So it, the theory of the practice is good, but Jamal simply has to be better. Uh, but he also needs some help with that group because he can't do it all by himself. And uh, if you look at the rest of that group, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji, that's the quartet that Michael Malone talked about at practice today is the one that they're going to try to roll with going forward. Uh, there's not really another scorer there. Jeff Green will provide something. Uh, Bruce Brown will provide some secondary creation, but nothing substantial, I don't think. And then Christian Brown and Zeke Naji are still very much supporting guys. So I, I still think that Denver has a lot to figure out. My personal solution would be to just add more starters to that second unit because I do not I think that it's going to go anywhere as currently constructed. They, they're going to need to get more creative with those rotations. The problem is it's game 74 heading, heading into this Saturday night, and, and I would be surprised if they change anything up in the final days of the season. It, it does seem unlikely, and so I guess that this sort of begs the question, and obviously that, that ship has long since sailed. Did they make the right choice trading Bones Highland? It's a great question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the writing was on the wall with that, that Denver wasn't going to be able to defend with Bones Highland on the floor. Uh, that really hasn't changed with the Clippers either. I know they got a big win last night, but Bones has barely played for them. And with Denver, the best minutes that the Nuggets have had with that bench unit have featured Murray with, uh, with wings as opposed to another point guard like a Bones Highland, like a Reggie Jackson. The Jackson addition has not helped in the slightest. It Thomas hasn't. Bryant's it addition. really hasn't. Yeah, the Thomas, Thomas Bryant's no. addition has really not helped in the slightest either. Denver's still trying to navigate that. They're still trying to figure it out, and I, I don't know if they're ultimately going to get there. But what I do know is that Christian Brown is one of those guys that – uh, he, he's going to keep playing. I think he has the trust of the of Michael Malone and the coaching staff now. And with the position that he plays, the defensive mentality that he plays with, they're going to ask him to keep taking shots and keep being aggressive on the offensive on the offensive side because they know they're going to get good stuff on the defensive side from him. And that's all they really need. I think you are exactly right in talking about the bench not having that instant offense guy. And I understand not every team in the league has that guy, but you don't have, and maybe Bruce Brown comes the closest to being this way, but it's more of the Bruce Brown we saw at the beginning of the year than the Bruce Brown we've seen for the most part lately. A guy come in and and fill any one of four positions conceivably. That was the advantage with Bruce Brown, that he brought defensive versatility, uh, the inclination to score and yet be unselfish at the same time, but they don't have that guy. And obviously it isn't going to happen this year, but I still wonder down the road, even as it might be tough to justify this when you're given the guy $207 million over the course of his contract, that Michael Porter would be exactly the person like to fill that sixth man role and provide instant offense on the bench. I think Murray needs to play with Jokic more than Porter 
needs to play with Jokic. You know, it's very possible. And there, there were definitely minutes at the beginning of the season where Porter staggered with the bench instead of Murray. And those minutes were up and down. I think Porter showcased some good things, but he also showcased, I think he's also dependent on, on Nikola Jokic to create offense, on Jamal Murray to set him up. And I think where, where you're really getting to here that I would probably go to, that probably stagger Porter too. I would probably play Murray and Porter with that second unit. And then in the minutes that they don't play with the starters, that Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jokic, those guys are playing a more defensive-centric lineup around Jokic. And then Denver can try to get the best of both worlds. One of the reasons why I don't think they've done that so far is they're trying to keep Porter's minutes down before the playoffs. He's still, a, I mean, I wouldn't describe him as a ticking time bomb on, 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 with the health perspective, but they're still very wary of overextending him from a, a minutes standpoint, from a physical standpoint. And they've tried to keep him at 30 minutes pretty much every single game. I think that's part of it. I, I think that if Denver is getting into the playoffs, then they'll probably extend his minutes a little bit more, play him with the second unit a little bit more. But they are being patient, and I fully understand why. We're talking to Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports, the host of the Pick, Axe, and Roll podcast, NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. And, and, and the Porter Jr. situation is, is interesting, obviously. You know, we talked about before, you know, how much might be communicated to him because he seems sort of confused by the limitations of his minutes. And you're exactly right. The, and give, break it down by month in December when he only played uh, five games. He had 30.4 points. Uh, minutes per game that's the only time he's exceeded 30 and he's at 28.2 this month that said he's at 28.2 this month while shooting 47 percent from three and so while i'm with both of you guys i think it's actually a good thing to stagger and make sure you have a couple different ways of scoring because nikola Jokic is sort of a full force multiplier right anybody who's on the floor with nikola Jokic, including the three of us becomes a better offensive player by default the Thing is, that's not how Michael Malone operates. Michael Malone takes every single game as if it's its own little tiny pocket universe that has to be won that night. And there's an argument for it. They're the top team in the West. They've never claimed that that, that top spot. They'd have home court where they've been dominant throughout the playoffs. At the same time, what the two of you were talking about with the idea of having, having to plan and sort out rotations and everything, it just seems like that's something that Michael Malone either doesn't do or doesn't stick with? What am I missing? Well, one of the things that I think I think you're hitting on here is that he, he likes to go with the basic rotation that features nine guys as often as possible, right. where you stagger one of those starters, play the other four bench players, and then slowly filter back into starters in that second and that fourth quarter. Uh, I think that he kind of broke from that in the Washington game, where he just played... Jokic, Murray, Porter, and Gordon for basically the entire third quarter. And they ruled. They were absolutely fantastic in that game. Basically won uh, that quarter by over 20 points. They won the game in the third quarter. Yeah, it was the the big difference in the the actual game. Now it was the Washington Wizards on a back-to-back, so they're not going to get any brownie points for me for that. But I do think that one of the reasons why they don't stagger uh, multiple guys is because the starters are so good when they play together. They'd like to have that advantage every single game that they can. 
and then try to survive the other minutes as opposed to trying to make every single minute positive that they possibly can, because then you're diluting what is the best starting lineup in the NBA, in my opinion. This is an opinion question for you, too. Uh, Earlier on in the program today, we took note of the fact that there are half a dozen teams vying for playoff spots or playoff positioning who have lost exactly 37 games in the West. Minnesota, Dallas, the Lakers, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, and Utah. Are there any, and you're around this team a lot, I won't won't, uh, (laughs) presuppose that that they would share uh, their opinions with you on this, but as you watch this team and you look at all these teams being so close, is there any one out of those six teams that the Nuggets really wouldn't want to play in the first round of the playoffs? Uh, to be honest, no. I, I think that this team and the mentality that they are taking now, uh, they, they aren't really gunning for the top overall seed in the, in the NBA. They aren't gunning for, like, they're trying to wrap up the one seed in the West because it is in their best interest to do so and they have the flexibility to do it. But they're not really worried about who they're playing. They know that whoever they go to play they are, I mean, they're, they're going to have a tough matchup against basically anybody, whether it's the Minnesota Timberwolves when, with Towns coming back and then with Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert, or if it's the Lakers with LeBron James, Anthony Davis. I, I think that they probably have preferences. If I had to pick one, they'd rather, have, they'd rather play the Utah Jazz. They'd rather play the mm-hmm. Oklahoma City Thunder, those teams who probably don't have as much playoff experience and top-end talent uh, though Shea Gilgis Alexander is uh, yes, he would amazing. frighten me in a first round matchup because they'd be a nothing to lose team. Uh, the Lakers have been champions fairly recently. Uh, New Orleans may or may not have uh, Zion back. I-, I think Dallas is a mess. So is Minnesota to an extent, and they're reintegrating uh, now. But it- it's it's an interesting question, uh, at least to me. Because against those six teams head-to-head this year, the Nuggets are 13-9. and Against the other teams in the top six in the West, the other five teams, currently Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State, they're 11-2. and I'm almost thinking they'd rather face one of those teams than some of these other teams against whom they have only split four it games this year. It's an interesting breakdown. I, 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 I'm going to pull the card that says that Denver sometimes struggles with their focus when it comes to the middle or the <laughs> bottom think? of, of yeah. the Western Conference, and that that sometimes they are like, especially those two Lakers games in in LA. They saw Anthony Davis roll his ankle in or whatever he did in that second game, and just punted. They decided they were they were perfectly comfortable doing whatever it was because they kind of lost the competitive juices in that game. And and I frankly I understand it because it was a mid December game that they didn't care about at all. Uh, the most important point though for uh, this particular conversation is that no matter who they play, their mentality in game one of the first round has to shift from it is okay to lose in one of these games because the series is seven games. It has to be, we are winning both games in Denver and then we are taking at least one of them in the opposing city. 
And if they don't have that mentality, then I, I think that they're probably not going to win a title. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn. Everything he's put together at milehighsports.com. The lead story right there on Giannis and Jokic and Embiid. And a big two games for the Denver Nuggets. Also check out Pickaxe and Roll. Terrific podcast he puts together. Ryan, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for all those insights. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Wonderful. Ryan. Great to have uh, him on. And of course, like I said, we're, you know, part of the team over here at Miley Sports. Make sure you check him out. Does a, a tremendous job with that. Looking at the numbers. We're talking about the- Isn't that fascinating, though? 13 and 9 against these half dozen teams with right. 37 losses, but 11 and 2 against Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State. To the point you guys were making about. You know, but he's right. He, he made it mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, the right way. Uh, saying that, you know, their focus wavers and, you know, Golden State and Phoenix have knocked them out of the playoffs the last two years. Doesn't matter who's available. They're ready for those games. Yes, they are. And and soon enough, that'll be all they have. But you still have to make sure that you hit the ground running in the playoffs. By the way, we talked about Michael Porter Jr. out of players that average uh, what he averages, 7.3 points a game or higher. He has a 42.3-point shooting percentage on the year. There are only two guys ahead of him. Kawhi Leonard at 42.1 and some guy named Curry, Steph Curry. He might have heard of him. He's at 43. I mean, that's the kind of three-point weapon that Michael Porter Jr. has developed into this season. So uh, giving that extra scoring punch makes a big difference for the Nuggets. We'll find out what they do when they take on the Bucks tomorrow. We'll take a look at the Denver Broncos. The injury to K.J. Hamler refocuses on that wide receiver room If the Broncos wanted a little bit of depth, some of it disappeared today. Where do they go next? We'll talk about it on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Happy Friday. Our call and text line is 303-831-1340. Of course, nice to get some good vibes up for Friday. I had a couple texts in, apparently. Uh, Danny, you got a couple for us. I caught him right when he was uh, taking a sip of water. We did. I did that that on purpose. (laughs) <laughs> we had a couple uh, a couple texts come in. Some listeners happy uh, to hear you guys on the airwaves. The first wave or the first one, Sandy, you suck at retirement. <laughs> Thank God uh, and welcome back, legend with a heart emoji. Right about that. Uh, that. That that might be someone I actually do know. <laughs> uh, yes, I I agree with that. That's true. It didn't uh, did the last six months. Did uh, not stick. Uh, so, did, yeah, did not uh, handle it all that well. <laughs> The second one, uh, Sandy, it's Reed from Evergreen. I am so thrilled oh, yeah. you are back on the air. And the fabulous Drotar as well. Absolutely. Man, this has made my day. So excited to hear you guys again. Oh, well, then, thanks. It's, it's nice to hear Great. that. Those are uh, We're happy that, that you've, you've followed along and found us as we reassembled this and, and brought it over. Thanks, to, as you pointed out, to our friends at Nine News yes. who wrote up a, a nice piece nice about that today. today, about coming back uh, to the air uh, not only you coming back, but us being able to come back together right. and do this uh, show, which... Which, by the way, this goes without saying, and I, I'm going to say it once, and 
then I'll leave it alone. But I would not have come back if not for the chance to partner with you again. Well, I would I, uh, under no circumstances have come back with anyone, uh, certainly in this market, uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than you. Other than you. You're the oh, oh other than man. You. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, uh, glad apparently not to be counted with the rest of the market based on how that sounded. So I really appreciate it. But we are back. And thanks to all of you who have found that uh, at Mile High Sports. You can always go to MileHighSports.com. You can uh, listen to it. Or you can watch it. Andrew Detmer's there in the booth uh, making sure that we have our whole uh, multi-camera setup and uh, the graphics and the whole works. So thank you to Andrew who puts that together. Danny, of course, making everything sound good. So you can go to MileHighSports.com slash listen or slash watch and you can take the free mile high sports app and then you get it crystal clear wherever you are whenever you want including if you're not listening live and you're catching this later thanks so much for that as well the broncos sandy after the news that kj hamler will now miss four to six months not weeks months with a partially torn pec muscle now requires surgery requires surgery on one hand Hamler is a big name because as the Broncos were trying to develop some hope during this long desert of losing, he was a second round pick. That said, not trying to demean Hamler at all. As of today, he's the number four wide receiver on the team. Most teams aren't panicking over the loss of a number four wide receiver, especially in the offseason. Is this something the Broncos should be aggressive in doing something about? Or given that it's March, you just sit on it and wait what happens and see what happens. Hope it's closer to the four months. I don't think there's a need to go out and find someone. But as we discussed earlier this week, I do think there is a need to make a move on draft night or prior to the draft that involves Cortland Sutton. And again, it's nothing personal. It's not even a professional knock on Cortland Sutton, but I just think people who are producing at his level are readily available, uh, not just in free agency, but in the draft. And you say, well, what's that level? Uh, I'm talking about 60 catches, 800 yards, maybe a couple of touchdowns on an annual basis. That's your average sure i think there are guys you could draft in the fourth round if you wanted to wide receivers generally a deep position in most drafts nowadays who can produce in that way there are people who are i suppose still out there on the open market uh there fewer are. than there were when we fewer, last spoke yeah. on this yeah, issue as a matter of fact you know just today but, of course but there are people who could fill that role now, I also want to say something else. Sean Payton comes from the Barcells Belichick school of evaluating right receiving talent and believing, as Bill Walsh did about running backs once upon a time, that it's nice to have a great one. Anyone wants a great player, regardless of the position, right? But you can get by, and at certain positions, your priority shouldn't be heavy spending. And I think considering the fact that the Broncos with to be as honest as we can be about it, a mediocre core of wide receivers last year that weren't helped by Russell Wilson. Okay. Fair. Absolutely. They weren't helped by Wilson, but it was a mediocre lot. They were third in the league 
in wide receiver spending last year. No Sean Payton coached team will ever be in the top five in wide receiver spending. I promise you that. Another point to consider when we speak of trading not only Sutton, but the $18.3 million that he will count against the cap if he is retained. And that would be the biggest, that's the biggest part of this. As you pointed out, there's no disrespect or slight to, to Sutton at all. It is purely, this is an, this is going to be a team that is not going to spend a tremendous amount of time at three wide. You can tell that already by the additions in free agency. And you know what Sean Payton historically has run. So if you don't need that much expense and that much depth in the wide receiver room, clear up the money to fill other needs, defensive line, offensive line. Uh, maybe you do need another receiver. I'm of the belief with you that if, if, if I'm walking into saying you have Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick starting, assuming Patrick is healthy, and for maybe the first couple months of the year, you, you have, have a, a, a Jalen Virgil, right. some some free, uh, free agent that you got that's not a star player, but but has been an NFL even, veteran. Even a guy you draft, and even a guy you draft, serve as a fourth receiver. I think I think you can live with that, and that's I think that's the move you have to make is to be able to free up that money and do something else, and it really doesn't have anything to do with Sutton. But some of the options dried up. Uh, Carolina being. Aggressive in free agency grabs uh, Adam Thielen and and DJ Chark, who we thought was maybe I'm the best guy available. That Thielen was out there as long as he was, and I know he's in his thirties now, right? Right, but still an awfully good possession still receiver. A hell of a good receiver. Yeah, now a possession receiver. He he's not going to dazzle you with his speed or game breaking ability, but he's a solid player. Chark the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised Thielen lasted. And almost as surprised that Shark was still out there, but uh, they are out there no longer. Nelson Aguilar has bounced around a lot, goes to the right. uh, Ravens. But, I mean, that that level of player, maybe, uh, the, and I'm thinking more like the Aguilar, right? A guy that's been a veteran, that that is that is not great, but you as a third receiver, you're like, we're okay. We're okay with, with this guy here. And not going to break the bank. To my mind, if I'm freeing the money up by trading Sutton and you're adding a receiver, I'm probably looking towards that Nelson Aguilar type that, that for whatever, whatever reason, Sean Payton decides this is kind of fits into my offense. Uh, give me a guy that's that's a, a veteran that can do it. Don't need anything spectacular. You're looking for bargains. Right. I, I think it, if you think as exactly Payton right. does, you're looking for bargains at the wide receiver position. That's all. Yeah. And, and that may but just be solved in the draft. looking to pay a guy close to $20 million. And again, Sean Payton wasn't around when Cortland Sutton got that contract, and Cortland Sutton did or not Tim put Patrick for that matter. A, a gun to the head of yeah. uh, George Payton. They were anybody speaking, of yeah. course. That's an expression, and say that uh, you know you have to give me this money, uh, or or I'll you know whatever not continue to play for you. I I will go, go on strike else. or something. Uh, no, that and. And the same thing with Patrick, but the Patrick deal may be a little high, but it's in the range of acceptability yeah, for a second wide receiver. A 10, you know, that, that number's more. 10, 11. 10, that it that, is. That's, that's okay. 18 for you a possession be a receiver. You, you've you've got to be a major star. And uh, Cortland Sutton seemed on the verge of stardom in 2019 when he had a 1,000-yard receiving season. And, of course, during that year, the Broncos went through 
several quarterbacks. Yeah. So his 1,000-yard season stood out. Mm -hmm. He was the best offensive player the Broncos had in 2019. Here's some of the receivers, by the way, that are under 30, that are just still sitting out there. That, that I think but Kenny Galladay, formerly on the, the the Giants, Robbie Anderson, obviously some, some challenge with Anderson at times, but he's been effective. He's been really effective. Uh, you saw Byron Ping, Pringle with a little bit with the Chiefs. Obviously, he spent the night with the Bears last year. And Keel Harry, the former first-round draft right. pick with Chicago, is still out yeah. there. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus from Atlanta, who had his moments, but uh, yeah. that's that no quarterbacking situation Didn't there. Did he have a game against Denver? Yeah, he did. He sure did. I seem to remember. And he's only 25. <laughs> Uh, right. You know, Brashad Perriman uh, out there again, not not yet 30. You can go to even a, a Brashad Higgins, who was on the Panthers last yeah, year, former right. Colorado State Rams, still issue. out there. Right. But, I mean, it's that kind of player that I think if the Broncos scoop up that kind of guy and say, we've traded Sutton, this is our number three, right now and until he comes back, Hamler is what he is, he's our four, or it turns out to be Jalen Virgil or whatever, I think you're good. For this offense, I really do. I, I don't look at it and say, if you ended up picking up, uh, you know, Kenny Galladay instead, I don't look at it and say the receiving core got a lot worse. But it does get a lot more economical. And in a salary cap league, that matters. Odell Beckham do anything for you? No, not at the expense. Makes no sense. If, you, if you're going to spend that. Now, he tweeted out the other day, and I believe I have this right. Uh, people keep saying, I want $20 million, as in per year. Right. Right. All I said is that I don't want to play for four. Now, it seems to me there's a fairly large gap between <laughs> those gap. two yeah. numbers, but there is also the rehab from the ACL injury he suffered in the Super Bowl. He apparently physically will be ready to start 2023. And again, the social media expression was that uh, the $4 million deals he has apparently been offered aren't enough. Well, he's going to have and to. And that's a one-year $4 million He's going to have to show teams but, that he's healthy and is ready that, to right. go, not projected. But uh, how much higher would you go for, guy for that a can't, 30-year-old receiver who can't work out right who's now? missed since 2020 29 games? And cannot show you that he's healthy as of today. Well, no. No one's going to. That's the deal now, you're going to get. a private workout in Arizona. Earlier this month, and the Broncos were not there. So they seemed no more interested. But Dallas was, and they decided to go with Brandon Cooks instead. Go with Cooks, right? So I mean that that tells you something. Now the Broncos reportedly reportedly made a play for Lazard and for Thielen, right? But were turned down by them, or they. But that gives you the, the idea of what Denver is pursuing. And that is kind of, now, I mean, I get it. Lazard a little more accomplished because of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Thielen, obviously older. But, I mean, we're still talking about the Kenny Gade, Robbie Anderson level of guys. Yeah. And, the, and there's, I mean, I just rolled off, what, half a dozen of them that are not even 30 yet. So, there there will be options. And as you pointed out, receivers, uh, they, they don't quite grow on trees. But when you're talking about the prevalence of spread offenses in college football today, it is one of the positions that is the deepest in all of the sport. In fact, I would argue wide receiver is the deepest position in college football every year right now. And if your draft picks come between 67 and 195 and you have five picks 
and they're all coming and that, yeah, starting cluster. with 67 all the way to 195. I think you can probably pick off a receiver in there. The reason I keep talking about Chark, and you like him too, I do too, is that last year he averaged 9.7 yards per target. Whew. That's pretty good. That is. That's really good. But it's academic now. He's not coming. Uh, nope. He's on Carolina. Well, we had an opportunity to watch up. We, we missed on one of the upsets yesterday. Kind of thought that Michigan State and Tom Izzo's team could pull it off. K-State does a great job in OT to win that. But there was another upset last night when Florida Atlantic knocked off Tennessee. Could it happen again? Well, keep in mind, you don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, win money on your tournament wages with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling, and you have a direct line to their experienced staff behind that counter in Las Vegas. I mean, you've seen the Superbook counter in Vegas. Uh, it's been there a while, and it is enormous, so you know it's a brand that you could trust. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, so no matter what you want to wager on, come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. So download the Superbook app today and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call one 800 522 4,700. We'll take a look at tonight's Sweet 16 matchups next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Hopefully you have a fun weekend planned. You full of a lot of fun sports. And, of course, that starts like tonight. That starts like in about 45 minutes because the rest of the Sweet 16 will go off uh, tonight. The game that will be the earliest one is probably the uh, worst game of the bunch. Alabama hosting San Diego State. That's a one out of five. Alabama, a seven-point favorite. Uh, I'm gonna I'm surprised it isn't more. I'm going to talk to my friends at Superbook Sports All in right. their little app, and maybe, uh, yeah, I'm surprised there's not Get more that than that, in. too. I think I will make sure I squeeze that one in before uh, the game starts. I think Bama's going to beat San Diego State by, like, 15 to 20 points. I think it's going to be bad. But it'll be followed up by Miami and Houston. I think... I really do like Houston. I think Houston is a really good team. I, I think they're quite a bit better than Miami, but uh, Miami has played really inspired basketball. They look very happy to play for their coach, Jim for uh, Jim Laranega. And I, I yeah, think he's kind of the Wade Phillips yeah. of uh, college coaching. The young guys, he seems to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they... It, they they had their ups and downs this year in the ACC, but they're still around. They're still, yeah, they're still there. And there isn't anybody else from the ACC still around. So, uh, uh, including Virginia, of course, a, a four seed and Duke a five seed. And Miami uh, comes in as a five seed, and they live up to their seeding. So, I mean, maybe there's going to be a fight there. But I love I love I love the way Houston plays. I love uh, the way that that. Kelvin Sampson has them playing. That those to me look like wins for the number one seeds. The uh, uh, one of the more interesting ones, of course, will that'll start at seven over at, at TBS out in Kentucky, where Princeton will take on Creighton. Uh, Creighton yeah. is actually really good, and, and I know really good. Princeton has surprised and they're playing with house money, but I think that comes to an end tonight. And by the way, so do the uh, the folks in Vegas. Creighton, a 
double digit favorite in this yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that. And uh, I'm familiar with this Creighton team because Kansas beat them last year. And Kansas was a little fortunate that Creighton didn't have its best player who is now healthy. Mm-hmm. See, these aren't one and dones with teams like Creighton and uh, Florida Atlantic and, and Xavier and uh, even Miami. They, their kids stay around for a few yeah, years by and large, and they play together. So they add their best player to an already very good supporting cast. And I, I think they're one. I think they could give Alabama trouble. Now we're looking ahead. We're assuming Alabama and Creighton will win in the South tonight and play for a right to go to the final four. But uh, among teams, Alabama has so far faced I don't think they'll have trouble with San Diego State. But I do think they may have a problem with Creighton in in the South in that Elite Eight championship game if it wins as expected. And I expect Creighton to beat uh, Princeton. Although for uh, even the very good Princeton teams that have often entertained and surprised us in the tournament, I think this is this is maybe the best-looking Princeton team I've seen since the Bill Bradley Princeton teams of the mid-60s. Wow. I mean, look, they deserve to be here. It's not a fluke. I mean, they deserve to be here. We'll find out how that goes. Of course, for the second night in a row, you get a, a, a three versus a two for the nightcap and probably the best game of the bunch. Xavier takes on Texas. Texas is a slight four-point favorite there. Uh, I I do like Texas as the better team, but at this point, when you get this, it it feels just like a toss-up to me. It really does. I think, you know, the Big East isn't what it was 40 years ago. Clearly not. Okay. (laughs) But, you know what? In Sweet 16, they had three of the 16 entries. It's the most of any conference. 11 different conferences. I'm just saying. And they've got teams like Xavier and Creighton. Those teams are not to be underestimated. And, you know, UConn, I think, is the best team left in the tournament. I'm still picking Gonzaga I mean, to win it. Uh, I, I thought Jay great. Wright made made that point great last, last night. night. And, and, and UConn, which lost five out of six in the middle of the season, and actually at one point in the Big East, was five and six in conference play. They started 14-0 and overall and 3-0 and in the Big East. They lose five out of six. They're in trouble. They don't have a big star, but, you know, I know he can look like a maniac on the sidelines, but I think Hurley at UConn is a better coach than the Hurley well, who's at Arizona State. He is certainly. Um... And Hurley at Arizona State, is a perfectly good coach. Yes, he's energetic at times out of control, <laughs> yeah. but his team is never out of control. His... And his team recovered from that slump, and now I think they're the best-looking team in the tournament. I just think I, I think that'll be a sensational Elite Eight game in the West between UConn and Gonzaga. UConn, by the way. Coming up. On Sunday. In his three wins, is averaging a margin of victory of 21 points. Saturday, actually. Wow. That'll be, that'll be tomorrow. Yeah. I that, mean, 21 points. Oh, yeah. They yeah. are. And, and Gonzaga, uh, listen, uh, they 
won against Grand Canyon fairly routinely. Uh, they beat TCU by three, and they won last night by uh, yeah, the by three, three, three points over an outstanding UCLA team. That and, and 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 I'll tell you what, UCLA showed guts because they're missing two key yes. guys, two starters, right? Two starters. They're missing the center. Yep. Clark was out too. He's mm-hmm. been out for a while. Clark's been one of the better defensive players in the country. And yes, they had a thirteen point lead at halftime, and Gonzaga reeled them in. But Gonzaga is up nine. With a minute 15 left, mm-hmm. and point. by eight with 52 seconds left, and UCLA with 12 seconds left, makes a three and takes a one-point lead. So, yes, they lost, but I'll tell you what. Uh, I picked Gonzaga to win last night. I picked Gonzaga to win the tournament, but UCLA was a lot better in the tournament than they looked to me in the times I saw them this year, including one time in person up in Boulder, yeah. late in the regular season. And I'll tell you, Campbell and Jaquez are at the very least wonderful college players. And Mick Cronin kept his team engaged. They could, you watched the game. Yeah. They couldn't make a shot. I, th- I think half. if UCLA would have they been able to be like healthy. 11 minutes without a yeah. field goal. It's like DU going 11 minutes they, or so between shots on goal. They were my preseason pick to win the whole thing, UCLA. And I actually think if you would have had their two starters, I think they would have won this game. And I think they'd be on track to win the whole thing. But, but they are done. part of what happens of when you tournament. win a national championship. And I don't know yep. if Gonzaga will or won't, but they're still in there. They're among the final 12 teams as we speak. Yep. And I, I, you have to have luck. And listen. Uh, Arkansas, as we both anticipated, played its national championship game against the defending right. national champions last Saturday. They had nothing last night. And the two guys who were great, especially Davis against Kansas, had 25 points, fouled out late, but basically single-handedly kept them in the game in the second half. He shoots one for 10 last night. They, they just didn't yeah, have anything. That, that, that was their game. That game was over as soon as the first basket of the game was scored. Looking at those uh, Elite Eight games on Saturday, of course, you talked about UConn-Gonzaga. That's going to be a tie. Well, UConn actually favored there by two. But that, I mean, you know. That's well, a, they should be. They're, that's a, they're, they've played they're more playing dominant better. Basketball. They're a better all-around team. Uh, Gonzaga played good defense against UCLA in the second half, but I think UCLA was more tired than they were victims of uh, a sterling defensive performance by uh, Gonzaga. And uh, yes, our prediction held true that if the score was in the 70s and 80s, Gonzaga would win. If it was in the 50s or 60s, UCLA would win. And UCLA had 46 in the first half and uh, had to struggle to get to 30. They scored about half those points in the last two minutes of the game. K-State, Florida Atlantic will be the other one starting on Saturday. And by the way, K-State, a three against a nine, also only favored by two. Florida Atlantic with a real chance to make the final four. How about that? Of course they do. And I love Kansas State. Go Owls! I love Kansas State. Uh, But they had a couple of guys. I'm not talking about Noel or uh, Johnson, but they had a couple of other guys who came up big last night who might not play as well in the next game. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn. Danny Bailey and Andrew Demmer in the booth making everything sound and look tremendous. But most of all, thank you 
for joining us and finding us. Make sure you, you tell your friends, uh, My Life Sports app, MyLifeSports.com. Not just us, by the way. A lot of great content and a lot of great programming. The next one coming up, Afternoon Drive with Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Droter. Have a safe and happy weekend. But keep it tuned right here to Mile High Sports. You can't say what you won't do because you know that you just smile.